The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on the ABC News and columnist for the New Daily and just returned from holiday. <laughs> and I'm James Thompson, senior Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review and I am not returned from holiday. And we are The Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. Uh, g'day James, good to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you too, Alan. How was your trip? It was uh, excellent. Any um, economic reflections on the state of Europe that you'd like to share with uh, the punters? Uh, I was I was in the north of Italy having a bit of a rest, so I wasn't absolutely absorbing or observing the uh, European economy at all. So I've got no idea. But the one thing, one observation I would make mm. is because we did a bit of travelling around by train. Yes. In Italy. Yes. And the trains mm. are fabulous. Yep. Really, I mean. Not only are they beautiful things mm. to travel in, mm. comfortable, efficient, um, they're fast. Yeah, right. You know. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? They're fast. And yeah. so, that you know, you can get from A to B in Italy really easily, you know. And so it's made me think, you know, um, that's the answer to housing affordability in Australia. Good trains. Good trains. Mm. That go... So, so uh, I've, uh, I, as I was travelling around the train in, in northern, northern Italy, I kind of figured, th- thought, well, the problem in Australia, in Melbourne and Sydney and Australia in general is that the commuting distance is about 50, 50 k's. Yep. Probably. Yep. The viable commuting distance, 50 k's, because otherwise, beyond, you know, much beyond that and you're two hours. Yes. And so what, what's got to happen is that the, commu- the viable commuting distance has to be expanded to at least 100 k's preferably 150, you need to be able to live um, – you need to be able to live in Bendigo mm-hmm. and commute to Melbourne. Five toes a week? If you want to, but, you know, sure. The, th- the thing is that the uh, – if, if we had Italian trains, yes, it'd be fine. Right. You'd be doing that. And, and how long uh, do you reckon that journey would take you? Uh, you know, it needs to be under an hour. Right. right, 150 k's in under an hour. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Also, but these trains I was travelling on were going 150, 200 k's, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're not, they're not bullet trains. They're, they're not, you know, they're, not, they're just trains and they're going very fast. Um, so, uh, and they've got tons of them, you know. It's like it's... <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, they're effectively, you know, they're all just full of people going backwards and forwards between cities and the... In Italy, you know, I mean, uh, we need to be able to live in. You need to be able to live in Bathurst and commute yep. to Sydney. Yeah. Um, and the trouble in Australia is the the railway infrastructure has always either been too ambitious or or, or not ambitious yes. enough, right? So the so the high speed rail, which we've now got, we've got a high speed rail authority, right? They're all about. As it always has been with fast trains in in Australia, it always has been up and down the east coast from Melbourne to Brisbane, yep, right? Yep. To replace uh, air travel. Yes. Well, uh, that's just too ambitious. What we need is fast trains radiating from the from, cities from the cities yeah, okay. to uh, to expand the commutable distance. 
And the, the, the trip from Melbourne to Sydney and Sydney to Brisbane, we, we can fly. We don't need a bloody fast train to do that. Mm. That's crazy. Apart from anything else... It's going to be. It's still going to be too. Take too long. Yeah, yeah. It's still yeah. going to take too long. People aren't going to do it. So that's why it's never been viable. It's never going to be viable. Mm. Um, and you know, we've got this. We've got this um, suburban rail loop in Melbourne. Yes. Which is looks like. I mean, the last thing I've read is going to be two hundred billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> we might have to pay a levy. Well, Christ. I mean, this thing. This thing circles Melbourne uh, about between fifteen, ten, and fifteen k's from the city. It's like not, it's not going to do anything to expand. Yeah, it's going to make it easier yeah. for people who already live in those suburbs, to in go the commuting from one side suburbs, of town to the other, yeah. from one side of town to the other. But it's not going to open up more um, housing. Yeah, yeah. So we need to we need to get more housing. We need to. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I just think most of the solutions to housing affordability are uh, not going to happen. When you think about it, which mm. is not—it's just not going to happen, mm. you know. Well, I'm glad to see you didn't spend too much time thinking about economic policy on your trip. That's a pretty—that's uh, a pretty interesting nugget, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, and also, uh, Qantas has been blowing up while I was away. It was um, very uh, interesting. Yes, what a disaster! What a disaster! Yeah, uh, it, it's hard to think of a, a company uh, that has posted a record profit. And lost its CEO, and he was going anyway. Okay, but lost its CEO within the space of two weeks. I don't. I can't remember that ever happening. It's uh, absolutely incredible. So I don't think the pain's over there. Um, Alan Joyce was one circuit breaker, but he's not the sort of only circuit breaker. Um, there's the, the bad news is going to keep coming. We had this High Court case yesterday. Are they going to, is it going to be other bad news? Yeah, there's going to be other bad news for sure. We had um, we're going to have the annual report, Qantas's annual report, come out soon. That's going to say that's going to show that the executives, including Joyce, got pretty fat bonuses, as you'd expect in a record profit year. And that'll be another. That'll be more bad news. The, 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 this this there's no there's no end. I don't think they need three or four months of clear air. I don't think it's coming quick, soon. So. I mean, I I had an experience while I was travelling. On the way home, we uh, were in Dubai mm. at 2am yes. at the gate lounge waiting to board the flight. Now, we booked Qantas. Right. Uh, but it was an Emirates code share, right? Yep. So it was fine. But we were, a, we we're customer, Qantas customers, right? Sure. So, so we've yeah. paid the money yes, to Qantas. Qantas. Yep. To Qantas. And... Uh, we were just informed in the Gatelands that due to technical difficulties, this is 2am, due to technical difficulties, the, the new departure time for this air, light, this air flight is 11am. Uh, nine, nine hours hence. Nine hours hence. Oh, right. that must have gone down well at 2am. Well, <laughs> the thing is that, um, you know, we were, we're Qantas customers, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and half the people in the lounge were Qantas customers, yep. Australians. And uh, that was... That was it in terms of customer relations. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And it was just like, look after yourself. Yeah. And it was bedlam. It was terrible. I mean, it's, and so uh, I looked up the um, uh, on-time performance and cancellation performance of Qantas. It's 95th in the world in terms of on-time. Mm. Uh, it's on-time 
uh, flights was 76.7% right, yep. in July. Yeah. Uh, that's terrible. Cancellations were 10%. So uh, the uh, and the, the, it's much the same domestically, right? Yeah, yeah. The, I, I got cancelled off two flights. Yeah. So the cancellations are three point eight percent. The point being that uh, at those sort of percentages, it doesn't take long for everyone to be affected by a cancellation, exactly. right? Exactly. It just yeah. builds up. So everyone, so everybody, ha- uh, every single Qantas customer has been uh, delayed or cancelled. Yep. And been treated with contempt. Or, or, or essentially, some, or, 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 and everyone else knows someone like that. Sure. So, so, um, this is why this this is fundamentally why Qantas's brand is trashed. Is yeah. Because everyone's had a terrible experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean. Yeah. I mean, and it's that's why, in a way, Alan, I reckon it's different to what the banks went through. Some people had a terrible experience. Uh, but the basics of banking continue to function. You could always get on your phone and do your internet banking or whatever. The branches stayed open, you know. Qantas, you know, you, you, they're, they're always stuffing you up. It's never fun travelling. I don't care what anyone says. Going to an airport is never any good. You're always in a sort of hurry or a, a bit of a vulnerable state, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so the problems tend to get magnified. So you're right. Until the performance improves, they say it is. Um, well, it's not. It's absolutely clearly not. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, there's no doubt about it. I mean, looking on that list, there were three airlines that had 100% on time. Yeah, right. Um, uh, the Czechoslovakian airline. East Timor airline, right, and one other I can't remember which. What Probably it was. not too many flights on the East Timor airline. To be fair, possibly not, but mm. they're all on time. <laughs> the point being, it's yeah. not. I, I think it's not uh, impossible to be on time. Yeah, I mean there were there were a lot of airlines in the sort of uh, high nineties. Yes, percent yeah. on time, which is I think is acceptable. If you get over ninety five percent on time, fine. Yeah, but seventy six percent is not acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The interesting thing now, I guess, is is whether there's more pressure on Richard Goyder, the chairman. Um, I think there's plenty of pressure on him. I think it's all going to come down to how he handles this bonus yeah, is- yeah. issue. Uh, it's interesting. I just before we move on from Qantas, um, uh, uh, I re- it's interesting how all the focus comes on who's going to go. You know, Richard Goyder's got to go. All this yeah. stuff. Personally, I find that so boring. Who cares? I mean, sure, okay, big deal. It's I mean, like, yeah. Whether Goiter goes or not, I don't think matters anyway. Yeah, I don't. Think, I mean, I, I think I think that's fair enough. But there's not too many instances where a place has been rebuilt, changed its culture and its attitude. And I mean, I think that that's the thing. It's, Qantas has an attitude problem that they're always right and everyone else is wrong. That's very hard to do without change, personnel change. Yeah, that's true. I guess so. I'll take yeah. your point, but... No, but no, I feel <laughs> Okay. Um, I just wanted to just briefly touch on the Property Summit. Did you... Yes, went to the Property Summit this the week. The Financial Reviews Property Summit. Yes. Uh, what, what do you reckon? What came, uh, out, what came out of it? I, I, the big thing for me is the property industry thinks they're 12 months into a two-year pain period, so they're halfway through. But and are you talking about 
commercial or residential? Both, really. Because yeah, residential, really. residential property market is fairly strong at the oh, moment. Yeah, residential market's fairly strong, but the developers, yeah, but the developers aren't necessarily loving life because it's hard to get labour, it's hard to get materials, it's really hard to get permits and that sort of thing. So um, they're not exactly loving life. Yes, there's lots of demand, but affordability is difficult because of high rates. So, yeah, don't... don't okay, so don't, we're talking about developers. Yeah, exactly. The, the I development business is, yeah. being, is, is being tough. Yeah, yeah and, the, and the commercial property guys, similar, logistics properties flying, retail's okay, office is terrible. Um, but I think it's just interesting that they... So they're, they're, they think they're 12 months into a two-year pain period, right? And they think that's a good thing. They think that the fact that nothing's really cracked in the first year is a sign, well, hey, nothing's really going to crack from here on in. I'm not so sure about that. I reckon we've had a year, it's only been a year of adjusting to higher rates. I don't think there's been much adjusting yet. And I think that's the, that's the question for me. Will they get to the, at the end, this time next year, will they go, everything's fine? Soft landing type thing? Or will we actually see a bit of pain? I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Interesting, though. And, of course, we had Tim Gurner starring uh, there, who's a Melbourne property developer, said unemployment's got to jump 50% and get all those lazy bums back to work. That's, that's right. That's essentially learn, what he said. And we need, we need some uh, pain. We yeah, need some pain to make everybody realise that, uh, you know... Remember they, who's boss. Remember who's boss, exactly. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so, look, I mean... So, it's not often you hear a business person these days say stuff like that. They usually... They're usually media trained and they just keep that's their heads exactly down. Right. That's exactly right. That, that's the great thing about the property sector. They're just built differently. They say what they want. <laughs> they just let rip. So it was good fun. Yeah. Let's go on to questions. Paul says, just buzzing to see what your thoughts – buzzing – to see what your thoughts are on how to find a good financial planner. Haven't seen one in a few years as we used to go through the financial planning arm of the mutual bank. Uh, now that my circumstances have changed, my wife and I are in the market to update our advice. Seems like it's still the Wild West out there, post-Royal Commission, on knowing who is trustworthy or not. What do you reckon? Uh, I don't think it is the Wild West anymore. I think that's a little bit unfair. Um, the number of um, – Paul will find that the number of planners is greatly reduced, down from about 15,000 to 3,000, rough numbers. So uh, if it's still the Wild West, it's a smaller Wild West – Commissions are illegal. Everyone has to have better qualifications. So I reckon that's a you, you're shopping in a better pool. Um, but it is shopping. Don't don't do you do your homework. You know, there's no secret to this. Go and see five planners and see which one feels trustworthy. Ask twenty five friends and and find out if they've got someone who they trust. Like th- that's the only way to do this. It yeah. is not. You've got to put legwork in. It's it's word of mouth or. Uh, interviewing or both. Yeah. Uh, you've got to treat it like a recruitment. Uh, don't interview two of them. Interview four or yep. five even. You know, t- you've got to put some, put some time but, in. But word this. of mouth is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David says, you guys are part of the media chorus who collectively eviscerated Philip Lowe for simply doing his job properly, all while downplaying the fact that many Australians chose in recent times to engorge themselves in debt in order to consume beyond their means, and yet somehow the consequences of this orgy of debt were laid at the governor's feet. 
Is the Money Cafe now ready to concede that Dr. Lowe has done a better job than most of his peers in the world of central bankers by taming inflation without causing widespread damage to the Australian economy and achieved it with a much lower peak interest rate? Will you apologise, Alan? Uh, absolutely not. And, um, uh, you know, I, I do concede that he's not alone uh, in stuffing things up. Uh, and I, but the other thing I would say is that although he's being eviscerated by everybody, not just us, for his uh, statements during uh, 2021 that interest rates would stay at – the cash rate would stay at 0.1% for three years or mm. at least until 2024. That's his big mistake. I think the big mistake was in 2015 – when Glenn Stevens cut the cash rate to 1.5%, and then Phil Lowe cut it three more times in 2019 to 0.75%. This is before the pandemic. Uh, so for what for four years, four or five years, they were trying to get the inflation rate up to two percent. Inflation was, you know, between one and two percent for quite a long time. It went it went below two percent. Went below their target, the two two to three percent target in the beginning of 2015, and in order to get it back up to two percent, they started cutting. They cut the cash rate to 1.5 percent. Mm. It was at 1.5 percent for three years, and then Phil Lowe in 2019 cut it three more times, and that was the mistake, in my opinion, because um, uh, that. Uh, I mean, just as just like they're trying to get inflation down by whacking borrowers, yeah, uh, you know, with huge increase in interest rates, they were trying to get inflation up by encouraging people to borrow more, or as David says, engorge themselves with debt. That's right. But you know, what are you going to do? The, the, they cut the inflation rate in order to encourage people to try to get people to borrow more, yep. to get the inflation rate up. And in my view, that was disastrous. Yeah. It was a complete yeah. disaster. Uh, yeah. I'd say the other issue was that he, he sat on his hands for too long. Uh, the, the Fed went in March 2022. We waited till May because uh, Lowe wanted to see if he could get unemployment down to a record level, record low level, which is a nice thing to have. I totally get that. But like... It, it felt like he, the, the primacy of employment was oh, yeah. no, I agree. over the top. He, he did take too long yeah. and then had to go too hard yeah. uh, in the end. The, the other thing, David, I'd say is just wait. We're, we're, we're at the start of this process of Australia adjusting to higher interest rates. It's only happening now. It's only since about May that the, 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 the retail sector has started to ha- show some cracks. Come back in 12 months and see if you're sure that we've got a soft landing. That's what I reckon. I hope we do. I hope, I hope David's right and we'll all look back and say, wow, Phil Lowe was awesome. But it's, we're, 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 this process is starting. It's not ending. Yeah, but I, okay, all right. But I reckon the criticisms are, you know. Valid uh, anyway. Yeah. Valid anyway. Yeah. Whether or not we have a soft landing, you know. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. still, yeah. everyone's still got too much debt and the reason we have is because interest rates were too low for too long. Um, as they tried to get inflation up. And, I, you know, I reckon inflation of less than 2% is fine. What's the problem? Yeah. Mike says, is there a downside one way or the other in either choosing to invest in a listed investment company like AFIC or Argo or simply investing in an ETF covering the ASX 200? Good question. What do you reckon? Um, 
I don't think there's downsides either way. They're just different. Yeah, I mean, an, an ETF has lower fees, um, but uh, Afik or an Argo, you get a dividend stream. So uh, I think there's, it's not downsides. It's just they're, they're different. I mean, maybe you do both. Yeah. Um, but the lowest cost way of doing it is an ETF. The easiest way to do it is an ETF. Yeah. Uh, Afik and Argo are making quite specific decisions. There are parts of the ASX 200 that AFIC particularly will not go into. They don't do gambling stocks, for example. Um, so an ETF will, follows the index, gives you everything. Uh, AFIC and Argo won't give you everything. Hmm. Now, that can be good because you're trusting that their fund managers can beat the market, but just realise that they're different is what I'd say. I think... I haven't gone into this in too much detail, but a little bit of superficially, it looks to me like African Argo tend to underperform the ASX 200 by the amount of their fees. Okay, yep, yep. Roughly. The, the one thing you'd say about AFIC 2, particularly AFIC, it's trading uh, um, ab- above its net tangible asset value too. So the shares are worth more than the assets in its portfolio. Yes. And that, that it, it's long attracted that premium for some reason or another. So you've got to pay over the odds to get in. Yeah, and there are other uh, LICs that are at a discount. Yes, yes. Where you can get, you know, you can get a dollar for 90 cents. Yeah, yeah. Derek says, Aware Super now offers a high-growth indexed super option. I believe this has lower fees than the high-growth option, which includes private equity, property, and other active investments. Which do I choose? Does the addition of private equity and property lead to outperformance after fees? Uh, well, uh, the they've got a slightly higher target. Um, from memory, the high-growth indexed super option is their target return is CPI plus 3.5%, right. I think. Okay, yep. And the normal uh, growth uh, option, the normal option is a bit less, 3.25%. So, I mean, there's not much in it in terms of their target. Yeah. So, I mean, Derek, I'd say just look at what they are expecting to achieve in terms of uh, returns uh, because that tells you, you know, that tells you something at least what they what they are expecting, and that might not turn out to be that way, but at least that's what they are saying they'll achieve. Yeah, I'd be thinking more philosophically. Things like private equity are hard for average punter on the street to get into. Really hard. The way to get into it is via an institution like a super fund, and there's. You know, there is good returns to be made out of private equity. I'm not sure why you'd cut yourself off. That That's the great thing about super. It gets you into places you can't go as an yeah. ordinary investor. So, no, that's right. And so the, the high growth, you... and it's true that the high growth super index super option in Aware Super is entirely shares. Yeah. It's just simply the, the stock market. So I'm not entirely sure why you'd cut off those yeah. that good diversification angle. Okay. Uh, Omar says, now that the US dollar dominance is clearly looking weaker especially with more countries joining the BRICS do you think do you have any thoughts on what this would mean for investors uh, oh, well oh, I'm going to challenge Omar's <laughs> challenge his assumption here that the US do, US dollar dominance is clearly looking weaker I mean it, it is a bit uh, but this story's been around for two decades that the US dollar is going to give way to the yuan or the ruble or whatever. It's been various things over time. I was, I was looking at something, you, you know, US dollars still 50% of money transfers around the world. 
The US dollar's actually strengthened a bit recently. I'm not sure I'd be giving up on the US dollar quite yet. I think we see this story play out before. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, look, the, 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 yeah, they, they had a meeting recently. They I did. Think, and and, and yeah. they all agreed that they're going to start trading more in their, in their currencies or the yuan. Or I, don't, I can't remember what they're going to use now. Yeah, yeah, probably the yuan. Yeah. Uh, the, the Chinese currency. Um, but yeah, look, uh, yeah. Maybe there'll be a little bit, but not much. Yeah, everyone's got to buy oil, and the BRICS company, the BRICS countries, have to buy heaps of oil. And to do that, you need US dollars. Yeah. Go ahead. Laurent says, "My question is, what are your thoughts on these new age open plan offices and their impact on productivity?" I'm an introvert and hate an open plan office. They're disruptive, promote discussion, which most of the time isn't about actual work and promote intercompany table tennis and PlayStation competitions. We should all get put back in two by two booth and get back to work. What do you reckon? Alan? It's, sure it's not Tim Gurner. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, I'm an extrovert and I hate open plan offices too. Really? Uh, because I never get any bloody work done. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm entirely in Laurent's uh, camp. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Can't stand open plan. I think oh, it's... Oh, God, you guys are stuffed then, I reckon. I reckon... Uh, yeah, I know. That's right. Because you can't have working from home and your own office. Yes. Where you... No, <laughs> where you sort of... You're in for two or three days a week. You can't have your own office two or three days a week. That's no. true. It's... um And, and you know, from the Property Summit, the, the trend in offices is more open plan. Desks a little bit further apart, though. Uh, and more collaborative spaces, which Lauren will hate the sound of. So more places for chatting and table tennis, uh, but probably desks a little bit further apart. But Lauren's got a point. It is hard to make that transition from your stone quiet um, home office to the uh, open plan newsroom, particularly for a journalist. Uh, I'm not sure whether we go for this one. YP, I'm looking to buy my next primary residence due to a change in the job. Current is almost paid off. I'm confident that I can use the money from the offset from the next purchase. My question is, I need help in understanding that if I redraw some from the paid out loan account, which will make my IP loan go high, will the interest rate on this new arrangement be tax deductible? Uh, well, we're talking primary residence. It's not tax deductible, mate. Uh, yeah, it is. Well, you don't pay capital gains tax. Is that what he means, do you think? No, or but, if, she, but the interest sorry. rate on your primary uh, on your mortgage on your primary residence is not tax no it's not no so, so I don't know. I'm not quite sure where you're coming from there no. if you've been um, if you've been uh, deducting your interest rate on your um, current primary residence uh, you might have a you might need to go talk to your accountant well, as, uh, there's something we don't understand YP yeah. Yeah. Uh, clearly yeah anyway Andrews Next. Andrew says, Alan, love your work, but you're such a climate change catastrophist. My AI tells me that a temperature increase of two degrees by the end of the century is likely to cause a rise in global mean sea levels of one foot, 0.3 member metres. Not one metre. Can you comment on this discrepancy? <laughs> yeah, Alan, why aren't you smarter than AI? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know which AI you're using, um, but uh, I use Google Bard all the time, a lot. Do you? And I find it really helpful. Really, okay. um, but if you if you ask things like that, it's often wrong. Yeah, um, you well, know. I, I mean, it just like uh, I, I I often have to check its answers. So look, AI is not infallible. Yes, um, uh, it clearly is not one foot 
Andrew. It's, um, you know, we can argue about what it is going to be. Who knows? We'll end up having to measure it because we're going to two degrees above, um, you know, we, we, we are definitely going to two degrees uh, of global warming uh, and we're going to find out. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be hot and I am, it's true, a bit of a climate change catastrophist. I do think that fairly soon, uh, I don't quite know when, it's going to be a bit like it was in 2020 and 2021 when all we talked about was COVID. Yep. Uh, COVID was everything for 18 months. And I think that for much longer than that, uh, climate change is going to be everything for a while. We're yeah. going to be talking about nothing else. Yep, and it might be might, – that discussion might start at the end of a very – or during a very, very hot summer. Let's see. That's it. Uh, Do Michael's question. It's a fun one. Oh, Mexico, right. My wife is Mexican, so I have a keen interest in that country. I've noticed that it's getting – more expensive to visit during the falling Australian dollar and the rising peso. I honestly believe with its great geographical location next to the US and low wages, Mexico will be continuing to go, will continue to go through a boom for many years to come. Can you direct me, advise me as to what the best way to go about investing in this country is and their stock market? I understand this isn't personal advice. Um, I've got an interesting fact about Mexico. Did you know this week Mexico passed China as the US's biggest trading partner. Oh, really? So Michael is onto something here. Mexico has, given its geographic location, it is fantastically placed. Um, now, it is an emerging market in, in terms of in sort of the financial um, metrics. So I think the best way would be probably through emerging market type uh, ETFs. I haven't seen a Mexican Mexico specific ETF. I must say, though. Well, there there are there are quite a few Mexico specific right. ETFs, but not on the ASX, right? Okay. So you can't. He, uh, Michael cannot invest in Mexico using Australian dollars, right? And buying an ASX listed Mexican ETF, right? right? Okay. But there but there are ETFs in the US. Uh, that are specific to Mexico. The, the most popular one, I think, is uh, called MEXX. Right. Um, but there are a few others. If you Google it, you'll find them, Michael. Uh, but the thing is, you're going to have to buy US dollars to invest in them. And you're going to get a currency... You're going to have a currency risk as well as... Yes, investment So, th- you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, yep. uh, you could probably... I mean, the other way to do it, you could buy... Uh, you could get a Mexican stock market ETF, I'm sure. Yep. I, I, I don't know Again, anything. probably not here though, as far as. Oh I no, know. no! You're going to yeah. have to. You're going to have to get a broker. I mean, you, you could do. You could do US based uh, Mexican ETFs via Comsec. I'm right. Sure. Okay. And, or, or whatever local online broker. Yep. Online broker you use. Uh, whether they'll invest in Mexico for you, I doubt it. So you'll probably have to go to a physical, an actual stockbroker to get them to buy you a, 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 you'll have to buy pesos and then invest in the Mexico <laughs> stock market. Dep- so it's a question, Michael, of which currency do we want to have exposure to? Yeah. Do you want to have exposure to pesos or the US dollar? Yeah, okay. Um, and either way, you're probably going to lose out currency-wise because the Australian dollar, no, you'll win currency-wise actually because the Australian dollar is going down. Mm. And the Australian dollar probably will continue to go down I don't know for sure. So, 
it's probably not a bad idea, in fact, to invest in another currency because you'll get the benefit of the currency if the Australian dollar falls. Yeah, fascinating, though. It's a really interesting point and a good one to raise. I think that's it. Thanks very much, everyone, uh, for listening. It's great to be back. Um, uh, and I'll be back next week with Stephen Main. So if you've got a question for us, send it to themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. Until then, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report. And I'm James Thompson, Senior Chanticleer Columnist at the Australian Financial Review. See you soon. 